You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. We are, uh, I love being with Bresci Campus. I mean, you guys are special. Special people is a special campus to me. When I first got saved, this was the campus I was probably at. Um, I know I was here every week because we had Saturday night services, which uh, I, don't, I don't know how much like the people that had to show up and serve every week loved it, um, but I loved it because I didn't at the time, and I was just showing up to stuff, not lifting a finger. Um, and, uh, and there were really, I just, I love this campus. I love this building. First building we bought as a church. And so uh, you guys are a special, special campus. And you guys have, honestly, like uh, I'm most of the time I'm at San Marcos campus with my wife, but we don't have like good restaurants around us. And you guys have every good restaurant around you. Like something to be thankful for, something to be thankful for. Uh, so I always love coming over here because I know I'm going to, I'm going to eat lunch after and I'm going to enjoy it and not have to drive, you know, five miles. So, uh, but we are in a new series, y'all. We are in uh, unshakable joy, unshakable joy because it's Christmas season, right? When you watch Elf and you watch Home Alone and you watch A Christmas Story, um, and for those random people who think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, this, you too can have unshakable joy. But this is the new series, and, uh, and I love that our leaders thought of this series because I think in a time when you know the world calls this the season of joy as believers we're called to have every season be a season of joy um, regardless of what we face and and so I look up whenever we do a new series and there's a specific word in there that is used a lot in our language in our culture in our world um, I want to make sure that we always define what that word means because the, what the world says a word means and what the Bible says a word means are often not the same thing. And that's how we get into messes sometimes as the church at corporately, not awakened church, as we take on the definitions of the world and apply them biblically rather than saying, what does the Bible say and apply them to the culture? And so the definition of joy in the dictionary is a feeling of great happiness. It's pretty general, right? Feeling of great happiness. And so as I read that, I was like starting to ponder all the things that I've you know, felt as great happiness times moments in my life. Um, and, and so there were obviously, you know, the big ones, like the day I became a Christian, March 29, 2015, um, at, at this church. And, uh, and I remember that was a feeling of great joy, great elation. Like, wow, I, I don't have to, you know, just be like, put this mask on. I can take my mask off and God loves me as I am. And, and these people, they actually accept me and love me as I am. Now, obviously they want to help me clean up all the junk in my life, but, uh, they love me and accept me as I am. Um, and I remember the day I was water baptized. That was a big moment, you know, declaring my faith publicly. That was pretty cool. Um, I remember the day I came on to staff here at Awaken Church. It was uh, almost five years ago. And that was a special day because I was like, I was just amazed just to be part of this church. And then when I got asked to come on staff, that was, you know, it was a whole nother, whole nother deal. I remember uh, the day I got my first client as a business owner, that was like, wow, someone actually paid me. This is real. Um, <laughs> like, I'm not just doing free work anymore. This is awesome. Uh, I remember that day. I remember, obviously, the day I got married to my beautiful wife, Tanae. Um, how could I forget? Uh, my wife doesn't let me forget the fact that I didn't cry at the ceremony. So uh, all you men who are not yet married, pro tip, pro tip, please just wh- like get some, va- like whatever you got to do, cry, or you will still be hearing about it almost five years later. And she is unashamed of that. Also, the day we had our beautiful daughter, Brielle St. Clot, um, that was four months ago, five months ago, actually, coming up here in a week. And uh, I, I cried a little bit then, although we were, you know, our labor and delivery was like 48 hours, so I don't know if it was exhaustion or if it, I don't I remember, 
I was exhausted. Yeah, my wife was exhausted. But I was exhausted too. You know, I was encouraging her, documenting videos of myself. Like, I'm a saint. Yeah, not so much. But uh, I remember that. Those were all feelings of great emotion, joy, right? All that happiness. But I also remember there's like these moments that I experience maybe more regularly um, or that are kind of normal. Like uh, anybody like going on vacation? Like the first, like especially when you're like, I'm turning my email notifications off. I'm turning this off and I'm out. You know, and then you're off. Like, I, like the, when you first go on vacation, like when you first, that's to me, I, I, whenever I do that, I'm like, I'm really happy. Um, but I'm thankful that I have a life that I don't necessarily need a vacation from to experience actual joy. But I do like going on vacation. It's a good thing to go on vacation, people. Uh, I, you know, whenever I go to Lou and Mickey's Steakhouse or Larson's Steakhouse, anybody, uh, whenever I go to any steakhouse that is any decent steak, I am a happy person. I am not a vegan. Uh, <laughs> Whenever I go to a movie theater and they have the icy flavors that I want and they have a bag of Skittles that isn't $100, I am a happy person. And pro tip, if you ever get, you need to get that combination and then you sip the icy and then immediately you put the Skittles in your mouth and you chew them and it almost like freezes them as you, it's like nitrous, I don't know what it is, but it is science. It's remarkable and uh, feeling of great happiness right there. Uh, and then, obviously, I think probably the one that we all have been looking forward to um, and is kind of past now, but the, the first day of pumpkin spice latte season. Like, anybody else? Nobody. Wow. The 9 a.m. likes their PSLs better than you guys. But um, I love the first, because that to me is like, it's Christmas, right? Like, I know Thanksgiving's coming. I know all this other stuff, Hanukkah, right? Uh, all, all that is still coming. But if pumpkin spice lattes have started, that means... I can start watching Elf. We can put up decorations. Like, it is the time to be happy. So those are all moments of happiness, right? But they're all mountaintop experiences. But life isn't just lived on mountaintops. It's lived in valleys as well. So what do we do then? Because as believers, we're called to be light and we're called to be salt in the earth. And we can't just be light and salt. We can't just be happy. We can't just be joyful when everything's going really well because then we're just like the world, because the world can do that. Anybody you know that has great, you know, moments of happiness that isn't saved, they're all mountaintop experiences, but how do you rejoice when you're in the valley? That's what God has given us the ability to do because the world calls this a season of joy, but as believers we're meant to have all seasons be joy. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it does not exist. And we're gonna look at James 1 verse 2 because this is talking about how we are meant to have joy regardless of circumstance, situations, and it contains the title of my message. So, my brethren, say, count it all joy. That's the title of my message, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, which doesn't seem like you would want to count it joy then, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, a testing of our faith has an intended outcome, producing patience. And the production of patience, having its perfect work, work in us, makes us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And when we're perfect and complete, lacking nothing, that is when we can actually see from God's perspective, have joy in the middle of craziness, and give the world evidence that Jesus is real. There are a few things I feel like, there are many things, but few things in, in the total circumference of everything that will really demonstrate our faith to the world. I believe tithing is one of those things because I don't think the world can make sense of why would you give 10% to 
your church when, you know, like why, why would you do that? It, it would only mean that you have faith in something greater. Water baptism, that's a, that's a classic, you know, and historical, it's an important part of our being saved and a part of our walking out with Jesus because it's saying, hey, I publicly de- declare my faith in Jesus. It's not just this something that's just me and God. It's like, no, us and God. This is a, you know, Christianity is a, is a group project, right? It's, it's all of us together. Uh, and I do believe also that having joy in trials is one of those things that people cannot make sense of. And if the world can't make sense of it, that means they have to ask the question, why is that different? If they have to ask that question, and it's something they want, which is what everybody wants is joy and peace, then they start have to ask the question, how do they have it? And if they really want it, they have to say, I'm willing to do what they do to get that, which is having a relationship with Jesus. And this is why I believe the devil wants to twist our perception of what joy is and give us counterfeits as substitutes so that we never actually experience the true joy and don't shine our light to those around us. So we're going to be talking about the three counterfeits to joy, the three counterfeits of joy. So the first counterfeit is nostalgia. Nostalgia. This is a quote by Brene Brown, brilliant author. I don't agree with everything she says. Um, so take this with a grain of salt, but I do believe this. Nostalgia is also a dangerous form of comparison. Think about how often we compare our lives to a memory that nostalgia has so completely edited that it never really existed. I think, uh, I think this last year and a half has provided a lot of opportunity. I was reading an article with uh, my wife, Tanae, uh, prepping for this message. And we we're reading about how nostalgia is at an all-time high in the sense of like they were doing studies and, uh, and surveys because people don't want to be in reality right now. So many people, I just want to go back to the way it was. I just want to think about how it used to be or how this used to be or how that used to be. And, and I think there's an element of that that's, that's, that's good in the sense of let's long for the things that are true and that are good and that are righteous. We want those things to be a reality for today, but we can't live there because if we deny reality, we deny our, and really we usually abdicate our responsibility to do anything about it. Um, And so nostalgia, this is not a, you know, first time in human history that we face this. They faced it all the way throughout the Bible. We see it in, uh, in with the Israelites as they were evading Egypt, as many of us know, um, and have read the story or heard the story talked about. The Israelites were in captivity for 400 years. That's 10 generations. They were working probably, you know, I imagine 18, 17, 18 hours a day, hard labor in the sun um, and just absolute, like in Egypt. So that's hot. It's not like San Diego hot. It's like, it's like Palm Springs hot, you know, it's like really hot. And, and they were not able to go and do their worship service. They weren't able to do the things. They were constricted, right? They were on lockdown, sort of. But then they were also having to do slave labor. So even worse. And, and they could not find pumpkin spice lattes. They couldn't go to the movie theater and get ices and Skittles. They couldn't do any of that. So they were in a terrible situation. And so then God hears their cry. Moses comes, delivers them, you know, the whole 10 plagues, crossing of the Red Sea. And yet, as they're evading, as they're escaping, we see multiple times where the Israelites say, oh my gosh, this is too scary. This is too crazy. Just take me back. Like, let's appoint a leader and let's have them take us back to slavery. Like, they get to the Red Sea. They're like, there's no way this could happen. Well, maybe if we just go back, they'll take us. They'll take you. They already took you. And 10 generations. Like, you want to go back to slavery. You want to go back to that addiction. You want to go back to the way things used to be, even though they were terrible, because nostalgia has this crazy effect where it has you remember all the good things and forget all the context, forget all the bad things. And so we see this happen quite often where, you know, whether it's people longing for the days of their youth, oh, 
I remember those days, you know, when, when, you know, I'm even like, I'm, I'm 28 and I didn't even play in the Turkey bowl this year. And, uh, and there's no excuse. Like I should have been there. I just, I got the time wrong. I've got a newborn, whatever. I made up excuses, but I, even like the last couple of years, I played every other year. So I remember, but I remember, and I remember being so sore. I'm like, man, when I was like 18, 19, I couldn't feel a thing. Like, like I, I could go out there and we could run around and, and I could, you know, knock heads around. And I'd be fine. And now I'm sore for a week if I go out and do that. Like I jump rope this morning for maybe three minutes. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I was feeling my hamstring. I'm like, am I going to need to sit down and preach today? Like, I, I don't know if I'm... <laughs> And so I'm, I, you long for the days of the youth, but then you're like, well, there's no responsibility. I don't have bills to pay. I don't have all this stuff. But I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I forgot how terrible that was to go and have to, you know, I wasn't married. I didn't have my beautiful today. I wasn't, uh, I didn't have my beautiful daughter. I didn't have, I don't live in a home. Like, I'm thankful that I have a mortgage. I'm thankful that I have a home because that means I don't have to move every year. And that's, anybody like moving in here? If you do, you should start a business helping people move because there's nobody in the world that likes moving. And that's one of those things that I think people, we long for the past. We long for past relationships. We long for past achievements. Oh, back in the day when I, you know, did this or I did that. Well, if, if we're so focused here, then we're not fixated on what God might have for you in the future. And we might even believe that what happened in the past is greater than what can, God can do in the future. And that's a dangerous place to live. And because like Pastor Jesse was saying this morning, it's like we've got to wrestle with God. Because if you get to a place where you don't believe he can do more than that's not a life of faith. That's not the life that, that God wants us to. And we often, you know, with nostalgia, we forget the things we should remember. We remember the things we should forget. And that's why God said, remember 86 times in the Bible about how he delivered them from Egypt. And he would say this to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. He's like, I don't want you to forget what I did. Because if you forget what I did, you'll want to go back. You'll want to go back. And then Jesus said, remember, when you take communion, remember what I did. Remember my body, which was given for you. Remember the blood, which was poured out for you. Uh, and that's why when we take communion, it's, it's, a, it's a symbol of remembering what Jesus did. Because if we can remember and fix our eyes on what Jesus did, we won't fix our eyes on what we could have had, what we should have had, what we, and we'll forget what we should remember. We should remember what we should forget. Um, so the solution when thinking about the past is remembering what God has done, how he's healed us, saved us, delivered us. And always remember that nostalgia never puts in context the right things. And so we want to be really intentional about looking forward, being present, because happiness, joy does not exist in anywhere else but the present, but the present. The counterfeit number two is in the present is happiness happiness. And this is not like joy, happiness. This is what the world offers in happiness. Uh, this is a quote from John Mark Comer, who was a mega church pastor for a while. Um, and then he, uh, is an author and, uh, definitely a good book. It's called the ruthless elimination of hurry. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. If you feel like your life is blazing out of control, speed wise and crazy, and you can't seem to get a grip on anything, I would recommend reading this book. Just chew the meat, spit out the bones. Um, cause it's not, you know, there's some things I would probably say aren't fully, um, in alignment with what I believe, but it is a great wake up call. He said in the book, quote, ultimately nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. True. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. It's a tough word. Forever. The result, <laughs> a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more 
restless. And the cycle spirals out of control. I know I felt like that. I don't know if anybody else has ever. But it's a dangerous cycle we live in, and it's living in this modern age that we do. And, you know, it's, it's once again not being content with what we have. And there is a tension. There's a tension of we should want more because the Bible says the way of the righteous spirals upward. There's a, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a truth of God takes us from glory to glory to glory. There's a truth of the upward call of Christ. There, there is a truth to the ascension of the people of God. We should always be growing, be rising. But when that becomes an idol, that becomes dangerous. And we see that happen in the story of the Israelites. They get out of Egypt. They're delivered. They're saved. They're not working eight hour, 18 hours of labor. They're not in the hot sun. God's literally protecting them with a shadow by day and a fire by night. And yet, instead of gratitude and contentment for what they have, their focus is constantly on what they don't have or on how they can preserve their comfort rather than step out in what God has told them to do. So we see that, and, and you know, they get manna, which is cool. It's like a bread. It's like a wafer, wafery sweet bread. Um, not like cinnamon rolls quite, but it's probably somewhere close. Uh, and, and so they're eating that, and it's sustaining them fully, but they're like, oh, we should go back to Egypt because at least we had quail there quail you're complaining about quail like if i was going to i would i would ask for you know steak i would ask for maybe pepperoni pizza from pizza poor i would i would ask for something else just not quail and and so they complain about the fact they don't have quail and so god's like you know what these people these stiff neck people and he pours out quail so much quail an insane amount of quail like waist deep quail and uh and that's that's disgusting think about that think about that right now like if you <laughs> If we were down here, all of us, and then quail just started pouring out, waist-deep quail. Yeah, just picture that. Yeah, that's what, that's what they got. Um, excess, right? So I would have requested other food personally, but quail it is. And so they would complain about all these little things. And then, you know, on their current safety and comfort, that was their focus was, I just want to be safe and I want to be comfortable, which is why they kept wanting to go back to the past. They wanted to go back to the place of bondage. Whereas God was calling them, no, you need to go in the promised land. But the promised land had giants, promised land had all this stuff. But up until this point, God had done everything for them. They had not had to step out in faith and do a thing. And so this is the moment, this is the moment we all, all come to throughout our journeys with God is God has maybe done some things for us. Now he's saying, hey, I actually want you to step out and believe that I will do the same thing, but I need you to believe for it because you've had your pastors believe for it for you. You've had wow. this person believe for it for you. You've had your connect group believe, but you need to step out wow. and do it. And that's the life of faith because there's some things that other people cannot believe for you. You've got to believe for yourself. You see, when we seek happiness instead of joy, we compromise on the life God has for us in replacement of temporary comfort, convenience, and pleasure. But joy comes when we're satisfied in what we do have. Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 12 to 13, uh, brilliantly, he said, I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to have little, and I know how to abound. I know how to have a lot. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who, th who strengthens me. Because our joy doesn't come from what we have or what we don't have. It comes from who God is and our relationship with him. Jesus even says, Jesus even says when the disciples come back to him after he's commissioned them to go and cast out demons and, and heal the sick and do all the things, you know, that we're also called to do. They come back and they're like, oh my gosh, it worked. Like we cast out demons in your name and they listen to us. He's like, yeah, I, I know. I told you to go do that. Why are you so shocked? And then he said, but stop, stop, stop. He said in Luke 10, verse 20, he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, 
Don't rejoice in what you've done. Don't rejoice in the things you have or don't have. Don't, don't rejoice in your achievements. Don't rejoice in all this stuff that the world tells you to rejoice in, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And I remember the first time reading this, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so simple. If I could just, I should be happy when, when good things happen to me. I should be excited. I should be thankful to God. But, but even if none of that stuff happens, or even when it does, I got to be careful that my praise doesn't go to that versus the praise that God, you saved me. God, you healed me. God, you delivered me. My praise is always going to be there because anything can be taken from you in this life. But one thing that cannot is your salvation. The Bible says that God has us in his hand. And, uh, and that's a beautiful thing to be thankful for. I remember, you know, I, I, probably a few years ago when uh, I had just come on to staff, I'd started my business, I was married to, to Nay. Like my life was totally, totally radically different and shifted from what it was five, six years ago. And I was so thankful to God. But I remember I had everything that I wanted and I had been praying for, but I felt foggy. I felt gray. I felt like unsatisfied. I felt like I was a little confused and, and I didn't know why. And I remember wondering why I didn't feel the joy, the peace, the excitement that I thought I would living in all the things that we have. And I think that can happen to us sometimes is we, 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 we have everything that we want or we've prayed for at one time. And then we're just like, what? What happened? I feel not how I thought I was going to feel when I got all this stuff or when I had these things happen to me. And I was praying and I felt God say, uh, you know, where does my joy and peace live? I was like, well, it lives in your presence. Like Pastor Samuel said, you know, you inhabit the praise of your people. Um, and he's like, well, you know, where is that? Well, in your presence, like in you. He's like, and where do you, how do you get in my presence? And what I didn't respond with which is what I have been doing, was, oh, if I just pray, if I just worship, if I just go, if I go to church, if I go to prayer meetings, if I, he says, you enter my presence in thanksgiving in my courts with praise. And I had stopped being thankful. And because I stopped being thankful, I stopped entering his, his courts and his, in his gates. And because I stopped doing that and I stopped entering those places, I stopped feeling joyful and feeling peaceful, even though I had everything. I was showing up to church. I was going through the motions, but unless we start, and it was a rude awakening for me, and I repented, and I said, all right, I'm going to choose to start every day with five minutes of gratitude. So as I begin to pray, before I pray for anything, your kingdom come, your will be, before I do any of that, I say, God, thank you for waking me up today. Thank you that I have a roof over my head. Thank you that I live in San Diego. Thank you that it's 70 degrees and not two degrees like it is in Utah right now. Thank you that I have the greatest friends. Thank you that I'm fulfilled. Thank you for all the things that I know are not. And then I thank him for the how. Thank you for all this other stuff that he's blessed me with. But I know that some days might not be like, thank you that stores are open. Thank you that we have courageous leaders and pastors that fought for this city so that this city could stay open. I'm thankful for those things. And when I'm thankful for those things, when you're in the presence, everything else will take care of itself. And so the reality is there are two, and this is right about the same time I got the revelation about there being two scoreboards in life. There's a heaven scoreboard and there's the world scoreboard. And it's easy to get discouraged if all we look at is what the world tells us we need to have in order versus what heaven says we need to have in order. And it's easy to compare. I mean, with social media these days, you can compare yourself to having or having not of everything. I mean, you know, as someone who loves to communicate and believe God's given me that ability and someone who loves to write, I look at Pastor Samuel, I'm like, he's, he's got 17,000 books written. You know, he's got an app. 
Like he's, he's, he, every post goes viral. Like this guy is killing it. Uh, you know, and then as a business owner, I look at some people and they're like, yeah, I started my business a month ago and now I've got eight figures, you know, in the bank. Like what? You know, you bought like, you know, a million, you know, altcoins of, you know, crypto and you just somehow are a billionaire now. Like, like just crazy stuff or, oh, you know, they did this or this husband, like, one thing I'm thankful for is that I got engaged like four years ago before engagements went off the freaking rail. Like I, I had to get a video and a drone and do all because that was like top notch back then. And I had that. And it, it, so we have a video. It's really cute of like our engagement and stuff. But now, I mean, I saw a post about this guy who flew his fiance or not the fiance, his girlfriend at the time to Italy. And they were going to go do like a music video, but it wasn't a music video. It was their engagement. And then they did all this stuff. And then it was all for the engagement. Like, that's how we proposed. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that my wife didn't read that article until after we were married. Cause that would have set a very unhealthy expectation of what I was going to do for her. So I think it's easy to compare with social media. I think we have to get back to God. What have you given me? What am I thankful for? Because as human beings, we're actually not meant to see into that many people's lives and that many people's highlight reels. Um, We're not actually psychologically built for that, which is why so many people are depressed. So many people are anxious. So many people think they don't have enough. Yet in reality, we get to come and worship without getting death threats. We get to go. And if we have, like, being in America, we're in the top 1% of wealth of the whole world. And yet it's so easy to look at people and like they have, you know, 15 houses that are all multi-million dollars and it's a good thing to, to want more. But if our joy resides in that, rather than being thankful for what we do have, we get into a really unhealthy place really quick. So we have to remember, don't rejoice in what we've achieved, haven't achieved. Let my joy and let our peace come from a contentment of who God is and what he's done for us. Lastly, the final counterfeit, number three, hope in the changing of circumstances, which is the future. I believe one of the devil's greatest deceptions is honestly this one, that we should try and find joy in circumstances changing to how we'd prefer them to be versus trusting in God's sovereignty and how he says they should be. And we see this, you know, with once again, the Israelites in Egypt, um, as they're in their journey in the wilderness, working out their stuff, God takes Moses and leads them to this place called Mount Sinai, which is where he got the 10 commandments. And so Moses says, you know, hey, God wants to talk to you guys. They're like, no, 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 we don't want to talk to God. God's scary. Like, God killed all those Egyptians. Like, we don't, we, we don't want to talk to him. We want you, the pastor, to talk to him. You talk to him for us. My connector leader, you talk to him for us. Anybody but me, you talk to God. I'm, I'm scared of being in a relationship with God. I'm scared of, of because what if he asked me to do something I can't do? What if he asked me to take, get rid of this? What if he asked me to stop this? What if, what if me engaging with him means he's calling me to more and I don't feel like I can do that? And that's, that's literally what happens. They say, no, Moses, you talk to God for us, even though God wanted a direct relationship with them. And so immediately, lack of trust. And so... Moses then goes up to the mountain and for 40 days, he's gone getting the commandments. And in those 40 days, the Israelites start to freak out because they're like, well, the guy who talks to God is gone and we're in the middle of the desert. And what are we going to do? Oh my gosh. And they start freaking out. And so they ask, Hey, uh, Aaron, one of the high priests say, Hey, can you, can you make us a golden calf? And, and that'll be God. Like, we'll still, we're not going to call him another idol. We're not going to pray to Baal or pray to these other, you know, the gods, it'll still be Jehovah Jireh, but we'll just make him into a, a calf, something we can see. It's a dangerous thing when we start saying, God, 
I don't know if I can see you, but I'm going to put you in a box. I'm going to put you into something I can't see. I'm going to place my, my, my trust in there. And it's, it's, the Bible says in verse or in chapter 32, verse six, it says, as soon as they did that, as soon as the golden calf was made, the people broke out in praise and in gladness. And it said they literally rose up to play. They rose up to play. So they couldn't be joyful until they could see what they were meant to trust in. In this life, our faith will be tested. That was a moment of testing for them, but it's crucial that when our faith is tested, we remember to place our faith in Jesus because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. But if we cannot worship, praise, have joy until our circumstance changes, we don't have faith in Jesus. We have faith in circumstances changing, which is not the same thing. Which is not, I know it's not necessarily a popular thing to say, but and it's not to say you don't press in and believe for, we believe for miracles. We believe for more. We believe, like Pastor, we wrestle with God. For, but we believe in that. We believe that God can do immeasurably more than we could ask. Think of. We believe that. But if our joy and our peace resides in that thing happening or it not, then we don't have the faith. The faith has us. And I remember, and this is where I'll close, I remember when I first got saved, I was, uh, I, I, for those of you that don't know, I took $100,000 of my college money, which is an inheritance to me that my grandparents, probably great-grandparents had saved up for. And I went and just basically splurged it on when I was about 20 years old, 21. I lived like a prodigal. I wasn't saved at the time. And so I went to Vegas. I went to Europe. I did all kinds of crazy stuff, lived it up, thought I was going to find joy and excite all these things. And it was the most emptying experience possible. It was the best experience possible because I learned there's no amount of money, there's no experience that can buy fulfillment. Only Jesus can bring that. And so that was a beautiful lesson. It really was. I'm thankful for it. But I remember, uh, because, you know, with credit cards, you can go backwards now. Um, I remember I had just gotten saved. I was changing jobs. I was waiting for my final paycheck for my last job. I wasn't going to be there for a week. I remember looking at my bank account and I was, you know, I, I lived, I was renting a room at the time. Um, <laughs> The place had like cockroaches. It was pretty disgusting. But um, I remember being on a mattress and I, I just had a mattress. I had my clothes and, uh, and I had a roof over my head. And that was literally all I had. I went to my bank account, nothing. I went to my uh, savings account, nothing. I'm pretty sure there was a negative withdrawal at that point. Uh, I remember my credit card statements, all, like they were maxed out, couldn't, couldn't use them. No cash, nothing. And I had no food in the fridge and I had a week and I had no gas in my car. And I had a week before I got paid. But I remember at the time I was the happiest I'd ever been. And I had the least I'd ever had. And I remember being in that moment and I was like, God, if I don't have anything else, even if I have to fast for the whole week or whatever, God, I know that I've never been this fulfilled. I know that joy and peace can't be bought because I've tried to buy it in nice restaurants. I tried to buy it in nightclubs. I tried to buy it in nice cars. I tried to buy this feeling with $100,000 and I could not purchase it. But what I have now, and, and my, I'm gonna be fine. And I remember in that moment, I said, there's nothing that can steal my peace from now on. There will be nothing that could steal my joy. What I have, what I don't have, nothing can steal it. And God provides for his children because I was tithing at the time. And guess what? Every meal I had was supernaturally paid for that week by different people. It was insanity. It was literally insane. And I saw the pro promise, the provision of God. And God has blessed us thousands of times over since then. And so God doesn't want you to stay in that place, but he doesn't want you to be reliant on that. 
And so I wanna pray for people as we close now. Everyone can just bow your heads, close your eyes. And maybe you're here today and you don't know the answer to these two questions or you wanna know the answer to these two questions. I wanna give you that opportunity as number one, where, am, where did I come from? And number two, where am I going? The first question, where did I come from? Well, God created you. He formed you, he made you in his own image and he loves you and he loves you so much that even in our sin, even in our dysfunction, even though we are not perfect and in order to have a relationship with him, we must be perfect. Even though all fall short of the glory of God, he sent his son who was perfect, who knew no sin to become sin on the cross. And he died so that you and I could live a life resurrected, a life in relationship with God. And I remember the first time I heard that, it was the best news. That's why it's called good news, the gospel, because there is no better news than that, that you can have eternal life, which is the second question, where am I going? All of us will end up in one of two places, the Bible says, either in eternity without God, which is hell, or eternity with him, which is heaven. And we get a choice based on how we respond to Jesus in this life, how we spend the next. And so I wanna ask for those of you who have never had the opportunity to receive Jesus into your heart, I wanna pray for you today that you would. And for those of you that are in the second group of people and you maybe once had a relationship with God, but you walked away, fell away, ran away, whatever the case was, and you're saying, I need to come back to him today. I need to get back in relationship with him today. Or maybe you've put a person, a pastor, a connector, someone else in between you and God for them to speak to him for you. Friend, today that, that all changes. Jesus died so that you could have a relationship, personal relationship with him. So on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand if you're one of those two groups of people. One, friend, God loves you. Two, I promise we'll never be the same. Three, if you could lift your hand wherever you're at, just so I know who I'm praying for. Beautiful, I see your hand. Incredible. Incredible. If your heart's racing really fast right now and you wish I'd just shut up, you probably should respond because that's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart. Is there anyone else like that besides those who have raised their hands or anybody else? I'm gonna wait five more seconds because someone waited for me. Thank you, Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Why don't you stand your feet? Stand your feet, everybody. We had some people respond to Jesus, so we're gonna thank God for that. Come on, how many are thankful? Come on, eternity has changed for them. Heaven is parting. And friends, if, if, if you responded, our response team saw you and they're actually gonna give you a book called The Bible, which is what I was reading out of, and a book called The Following Jesus, which your campus pastor, Pastor Samuel, wrote himself, best-selling book. Um, and, uh, and that will help you get started. Where do I read? How do I do this? Christian walk, that's gonna help you today. And so the team's gonna find you after this, but I would love if everyone could just lift your hands. I wanna pray for all of you. And I'm gonna hand this back over to Pastor Samuel. And I want you to just picture right now all the things that you can be grateful for now, because the world is crazy and the world might get crazier, but the joy that God has given you cannot be taken, cannot be stolen, cannot be manufactured. So even if things don't, even if, and I do believe God is saving this nation, I do believe God is saving this city, even if he doesn't, we're gonna praise him anyway. Even if he doesn't, our home is not here, our home is in heaven. Even if he doesn't, our joy is in him. So Father, I thank you. I thank you that you gave us the benefit, the gift, the blessing that is you, that is your relationship, that is your presence, that is your love. We receive that today. Father, we thank you 
that no care in the world can take us out of your love. No, 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 no bad leader in the White House, no bad leader in the governor's office, no bad leader in the city county. No one can steal our joy because our joy is not predicated upon what happens around us. Our joy is predicated upon you, Jesus. So we thank you, we honor you, we praise you. We thank you that you would pour out your spirit again afresh upon us, that we would receive your peace that surpasses understanding. We walk out of here today with a joy the world does not understand so that we may witness to them and save this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.